0: Luke 17, starting at verse 11. Good question. Anybody got a page number yet? 1629. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to praise, give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. God's word. They were originally saying that this morning was going to be about 90 degrees. And um, so I prepared the five-minute version of the sermon. <laughs> but, what's that? What's Let's have it. Actually, it takes more work, more work to give it in five minutes than it does to give it in however many we're going to get it. Um, hey, sweetie. It's been a, it's been a rough um, two and a half years. There's been just criticism and accusation and pushback coming from every angle. What, what are you doing? By what authority are you doing these things? Who are you? Who do you think you are? We don't want you around here. You're not, you're not measuring up to the rules and the laws. And Everywhere Jesus goes, pushback, criticism, accusation, rejection. And we tend to look at our Lord Jesus and maybe we don't even think very much about this. Maybe we just think, well, He's God and He can just kind of slough that off and slough it off. And we forget He's fully human. And we've all experienced more or less of rejection, haven't we? We've all experienced the hurt of being pushed away or pushed against. And Jesus is constantly, constantly under fire. And here he is, on his way to Jerusalem, and out comes ten lepers. Jesus, have mercy on us! And I don't think anybody present with him that day would have blamed him if he'd have said something like, you know, I'm really tired, and um, and I'm on my way to Jerusalem. In fact, I've been there going that direction for quite a while, and actually I'm going to suffer. And I'm going to be rejected. And I'm and I'm going to suffer for the sins of the world. I'm going to be I'm going to be crucified. And it's going to take everything I've got. And so I've really got I've really got to just kind of focus all my energy and my emotions and every I've got to keep going toward Jerusalem. But he doesn't do that. The same love that's moving Jesus toward suffering and toward Jerusalem moves Jesus to stop. And to listen and to turn aside. And so these men call out, Jesus, have mercy! And Jesus stops. He's got mercy. He's got time. He's got love. He's got cleansing. And so the first thing that Luke wants us to hear is that Jesus has time. Jesus is willing to give of Himself to everyone That's willing to come to Jesus. There's not one person in all the Gospels who reaches out to Jesus and says, help me, that Jesus ever turns away. So here's 10 men calling out to him. And these are men whose faces are disfigured and whose hands and feet are beginning to fall off. Leprosy just kind of eats away. It's a, a disease that um, kills the nerves and you can't tell what you're doing to the ends of your your digits. And so you, you bump into things and you drag them and you become a bloodied mess. And it's um, a disease that there is a cure for. It's preventable and curable now, but it wasn't back then. And so if you had it, you were excluded, you were sent out, you had to go leave your family. That would be like, you guys just got married And if you found out that Ryan had it, all of a sudden, a year into marriage, no choice, torn apart. Your child has it, no choice, torn apart. So these are men who've been torn or ripped out of their families, who've lost everything, who are living alone in a camp somewhere in the hills, and there's all of a sudden... There's news that there's somebody who might be able to make him well. And do they dare go? Do they dare? And so I think the second thing Luke wants us to hear is that there's nothing so unclean that you can't bring it to Jesus. This is the most unclean thing that was conceivable in the time that this text was written. Leprosy was the worst of the worst. And you wouldn't, you had to, if you had it and you were going to make your way anywhere near society, you had to actually shout out, look out, leper coming. You had to warn people that you were coming. I mean, could you think of anything more shaming than to have to announce your own presence as unclean? You had to warn people when you were coming. And Jesus welcomes the unclean ones. And earlier in the Gospel, we saw a leper come up to Jesus and say, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And what did he do? He reached down and he touched him. There's nothing so unclean that you can't bring it to Jesus and say, Jesus, will you cleanse this? Jesus? Well, leprosy is not a big problem for us here, is it? I wonder what other unclean things... Are kept hidden and secluded and not brought to Jesus. I wonder what else the world and maybe even sometimes the church looks at and says, Ew! This week, Neil Blake, one of our members who works for the press, forwarded me a couple of articles about people who had committed sexual crimes. And were being put in prison. And you would not believe the horrendous, hateful things, maybe you would, that were being said to and about these people. As though they were beyond cleansing. As though they were beyond redemption. Nothing Is beyond the cleansing love of God in Christ Jesus. What are the things that get kept hidden? These men were out in the hills. What are the things in our lives, in our family members, and neighbors' and friends' lives that don't get brought to Jesus? That get kept in the dark, in the secret place, hidden. Because they're deemed too shameful, too unclean. These men, I imagine, had to be helped to come to Jesus. How do you get news when you're secluded, when you're cut off? Somebody had to go to them, somebody had to say to them, There is this man, there is this prophet. He's healing people. He's touching people. He's cleansing them. He's he's raised some from the dead. He's driving out demons. You guys, you really ought to go. I don't. Know. I don't know if we should. I don't know if we should take the risk. I don't. I don't know if we want to get out near people again. It's too risky. Who who were the friends who had the love enough to go and tell about this Jesus who cleanses everything, or who's willing to? Friends, we can thank and praise the Lord for his cleansing, but we cannot stop there. We've got to be bearers of this message. We've got to recognize those who are living in the bondage of bitterness, who are living in darkness. Whose very body language and posture and eyes say to us, There are unclean things. There are defiling things. There are hurtful things. There are things that keep me bound up in shame and in darkness and in dirtiness. And we got to go to them and say, There is one who cleanses. Come with me. Let's go ask him. This is how you do it. Jesus, have mercy. And he does. He does. Ten men come, and they say, Jesus, have mercy. And without missing a heartbeat, he looks at them, and full of compassion and mercy, he says, the strangest thing, go show yourselves to the priests. Why is that strange? Because when God gave the Old Testament law through Moses to his people, and they were learning what it was like to be in relationship with the Holy God, and to represent Him as pure. He also gave them rules and laws about cleanliness and purity, and how the people who had uncleanliness needed to be removed, not because God was against them or didn't love them, but because it would bring that into the camp. And so if you thought you had a skin disease, or something that was contagious, you had to show yourself to the priest. The priest would say yes or no. And if he said you were unclean, you had to remove yourself until you were clean. When you were clean, you would go back to the priest and present yourself. And he would look at you and he would say, it's clean. You may now rejoin the community. So Jesus saying, there's, he said Twice in Leviticus, the book of Leviticus, there's commands for going to show yourself to the priest. Jesus, when he says, go show yourself to the priest, he's saying, you're clean. And they're looking down and they're going, no, I'm not. I'm still missing a foot, Jesus. Like, three fingers on this hand. And he's saying, go to the priest. What do you do when God gives you guidance that doesn't make sense? What do you do when God speaks and what he says to you doesn't line up with what you're seeing? Friends, make up in in your heart's mind, make up your mind to obey when you know it's God's voice. And that's another question we can talk about. We've done a lot of teaching here on discerning how we can discern when something's God's voice. But when you know God is speaking, or when you sense He's speaking, and you tested it, you make up your mind to obey Him, even if it doesn't make sense. Let me give you an example of that in our context. A couple of years ago, uh, I shared part of this story. I was on a Sunday morning for a particular member of our congregation who was despairing and I I asked the Lord what to do about it and I felt the Lord say, uh, because I was going to see that person this morning, I felt the Lord say, speak about it in the worship service. Well, that didn't make any sense at all. Why would I do that publicly instead of just going to the person? And some of you will remember that what happened, um, the Lord had really been orchestrating a desire to bring hope to people who were despairing that morning. And when I spoke it out and asked if you'd be so bold as to raise your hand if that was you, five hands went up. And um, one person who hopes to be able to tell his or her story to us down the road later, and has already given me permission to share this, later that morning came up and said, I tried to kill myself 12 hours ago. And as I, And as I sat here, You named exactly what I was thinking and feeling. And I was crying out to the Lord, Lord, have the pastor notice and call me out. So the guidance didn't seem to make any sense. But it was from God. And when you obey God's guidance, fruit comes. So, praise the Lord, these ten men, they obey. To a man, all ten of them. Not one of them says, well, that doesn't make any sense. I'm not going or prove it to me. Maybe they felt like I've got nothing to lose. Maybe they felt like, well, I've got to try it. I've got to try Jesus. Nothing else has worked. I'm dying. Why is it that we have to get to that point so often? They try. All ten men leave. And and Luke says, as they were on their way... They were cleansed. They were healed. Notice that the guidance came and was followed by steps, by faith that clothed itself with obedience. And it was only after they obeyed that they got to see the miracle. So, they go. And they're on their way. And all of a sudden, somebody starts to notice, I'm feeling my foot again. I'm feeling my foot. Looking down at their hands. Did they all get cleansed at the same time? I don't know. But they all got cleansed. Luke says all ten of them. They all came to Jesus. All of them got healed. Everybody who goes to Jesus gets healed. And so they're all healed, and one of them comes back. What do we do with that? One guy comes back out of ten. One guy comes back to give thanks. I think there's something um, beautiful about the character of God in here. That God loves to give good gifts. And the Bible says he gives them liberally. He pours out gifts on those who approach him. He pours out grace on those who come to him. He gifts. And he does that without controlling our responses. What are we to learn from that? Well, I think we can just have the character of God held up to us as kind of a mirror and we can ask ourselves about our responses when we give things to people and they don't respond the way that we'd like them to. Jesus is disappointed. He's surprised. He expresses that a little bit later. But he doesn't give gifts and he doesn't then go chasing after these guys and say, I gave you, now you. He trusts The work of the Holy Spirit. He trusts God the Father who's directing him in ministry. There's such a peace that comes when we're able to trust the Lord to this depth. That we follow as he guides. We give as he gives. We bless as he blesses. And we don't control the results. So Jesus gifts liberally. And then one man shows back up and he's at Jesus' feet and he's thanking and praising him. And Jesus, again, expresses this surprise and then this question and then he says to this man another strange thing. Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Well, wait a minute then Then the text say he already got made well he already got he's already clean He's clean when he came back to Jesus. What's Jesus talking about? There's a deeper wellness, yeah there's a deeper wellness that's happening within this man the The Greek word that Jesus uses here is sozo. it means to save your faith has saved you. Well, what's the salvation that's happening here? You know, we often define salvation as a profession of faith in Jesus, as Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of our sins. But here's a man at Jesus' feet thanking and praising him, and Jesus says, your faith has saved you. What's going on? What, what is happening here that's so deep that Jesus can look at this man at his feet and say, your faith has saved you? Genesis chapter 2 and 3, God creates and into his creation, into this unspoiled, full of his presence and his love and his goodness creation, complete with Adam and Eve, comes Satan. Satan, who the scripture says, was created higher than all the angels. And yet it wasn't enough for Satan. He wasn't thankful enough, but rather he was jealous that he didn't have more. And it was his ungratefulness, his pride that longed for more that caused him to be thrown down. And he then... Brought the venom, the venom of ungratefulness to bear on Adam and Eve. And he says to them, What do you mean God says you couldn't eat from this tree? Don't you know that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God? In other words, this is what he's saying Don't trust God, God's withholding something from you. There's something more that's good that God's not giving you. He's holding out. He doesn't really love you. Those two lies, he doesn't really love you, and he's withholding some good thing from you, are what have fueled all of the rest of the human um, family's search for meaning, Their brokenness, their woundedness, their sin. The serpentine song. He doesn't love you. And he's withholding something good from you. And the the response of Adam and Eve is to take the bait and to be plunged into ingratitude. To be plunged into the belief that God's not enough. He doesn't love me, he doesn't perfectly care. He's withholding something good. Healing. Healing comes when the lies are exposed and there comes the ability to thank God in the present for who he is, for his love, and to express gratefulness to him for all that he's done all that he gives, all that he is, regardless of our circumstances. So, look at it this way. Coming back to our story with the ten lepers. What good does it do these guys to be cleansed of leprosy if they are not brought back into a relationship with God, a relationship of love and of thanksgiving? What good's that? You're going to die 30 years later, 40 years later, 20 years later, 10 years later. So you're healed, so what? Great, wonderful. Healed for what? Healed for what? Right? So here's the difference between nine and one. The nine, they recognize Jesus' authority. They call him master. Right? But the nine come to Jesus and they seek to use his authority for their good. In other words, I recognize something of who you are as God and Lord, but I'm going to use you. I'm still the center, and I'm going to use you. The one, by his act of praising and thanking, doesn't make himself the center, but makes God the center of his world. Now, you might look at that nine and go, well, that's not me. But, um, friends, I think we do this all the time. I think we get, we get pushed up against something tough, something that's more than we can handle, more than we can bear, whether it's, I, I can't make my rent, I need a new place, I've got a relational difficulty, I've got this thing wrong, whatever it is, something that's too big for us, and we turn and we call on God. God, help! Jesus, help! And in His goodness and His mercy, He does. He helps us. And we thank Him. And maybe we thank Him for a minute. Maybe we thank Him for a day. Maybe we thank Him for a week. But in that moment, whatever long duration that moment is, we thank Him. We're full of praise. I've seen so many people come through this church in the last seven years that have a moment of praise and it flames out. Because they're still the sinner, they're still using God. And so they're thankful, they're genuinely thankful, but it never translates into a life of thankfulness. It never translates into the worship and the praise and the adoration and the gratitude that's due God, but also that lifts up the human soul because we can be grateful no matter the circumstances. Paul says to us in Philippians, I've learned the secret of being happy I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or, or in want. Here's the guy who says, I've been twice shipwrecked, I've been beaten, flogged, chased by bandits, attacked by my countrymen, attacked by other people. I know what it is. I could be happy all the time. It's gratitude. It's thanksgiving. It's a posture of thanksgiving, not just When circumstances are well, not just when it feels good, but it's learning to worship all the time. It's what Adam and Eve gave up when there seemed to be something contrary to the evidence that God was good. When they heard a lie saying, you can't believe them. They could have. They could have. It could have been well with their soul. They could have thanked and praised and worshiped. Friends, there's nothing in your life that genuinely has the merit or should have the ability, nothing to draw you away from a posture of thanksgiving and of praise and of worship no matter the circumstances. And I want to tell you a secret. If you want to experience contentment of the deepest kind, worship God When all is dark, worship God when you are anxious, worship God when forces seem to be pressing in on you that are difficult, when you can't understand your circumstances, when life hurts, when it's confusing, worship God. There has not been any one thing that has more radically transformed my own personal devotional life and relationship with God than worshipping Him when I'm struggling. It used to be that I would let the struggle push in on me and I would kind of ask God about it or sometimes whine about it. But underneath the 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 it pushing in on me and me kind of being pushed in on and struggling with it, whining with it, were the two lies. God, you're not sufficient. You don't love me. You can't provide. You aren't giving me all of yourself. You're withholding something. And the way out from underneath that is to just begin thanking and praising the Lord. You just begin speaking truth. God, I thank you that you are creator and that you are sustainer. I thank you that there's nothing in all of creation that you don't rule over like we were doing this morning. God, I thank you that I'm your child. I thank you that I'm not your child by my own merit. I'm your child by the blood of Jesus. Thank you that you drew me. Thank you that you gave me faith. Thank you that you promised that you will never leave one of your children without something that they need. Thank you, God, that you've given me your very own spirit. Thank you, God, that you are drawing me toward eternal life. Thank you, God, that your God is faithful who says he will complete what he begins Thank you, God. And you just begin thanking Him. You thank Him for the truth that's in Scripture. You praise Him. And you don't wait to praise Him till you feel like praising Him. You start praising Him when it's dark and the forces are pushing in. That is thanksgiving that saves. That's faith that saves. Because salvation isn't just a transaction. It's a changed life. It's being renewed in the image of God. It's being Grown up into the life that Jesus Christ had. Jesus said, Father, um, He said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Him whom you've sent, Jesus Christ. It's a relationship with God. That's eternal life. And we don't have to wait for that. This guy who Jesus says, You've been saved, your faith has made you well. Jesus is saying that, not because he's on the ground for 30 seconds, because Jesus recognizes in him something. He recognizes in him the faith that will praise God. The faith that would turn around, that would leave nine, that would not go back to the priest right away, that would not go back to the family right away, but that would recognize the source of all goodness, and would say, I'm going to the source Before I get the validation that I've been cleansed, before anything else has happened, I'm going to the source and I'm saying thank you. And Jesus knows that He's got the faith that isn't going to stop saying thank you. He sees that. Does that kind of faith live in you and me? Do we praise God like the nine? When he gives good gifts, do we praise him for our own ends? Or can he from heaven look on us like he looked on Job and point down and say, you see that my son, you see my daughter, that one worships me all the time. They thank me all the time. They trust my love. They trust my character even when they can't see The psalmist says, I can't remember what psalm he says, blessed are those who've learned to acclaim the Lord, who walk in the light of his presence. Remember, blessed means, oh, the deep, deep joy or the happiness of the one who's learned to acclaim, to worship, to talk about, to speak of the Lord, who walk in the light of his presence. We don't have to let anything block the light of his presence. The thing that draws us, the window or the door that takes us in, no matter what the illness or the trial or the, the, the um, circumstance or event, is the praise and thanksgiving that this man demonstrates as he's at Jesus' feet. So I want to invite us to end here by singing Thank You, Jesus.